0: When they talk about winners, you assume that everybody goes into football because they want to win trophies. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I always viewed football as an entertainment industry. Right. My first thought when I go out on a football pitch is, I want to entertain people today. It was what kind was of ridiculous
1: that, that Saka was put in a position where he'd never have taken a penalty it in most, a professional career. That was the most horrific yeah.
0: decision from an England manager I think I've ever seen in my life.
1: What did you make of Nathan Jones?
0: Because it was because a car crash.
1: It was a car crash on it.
0: It, it, was a it car wasn't crash. at that level, was it? I found that so hard to deal with, so hard to not say anything about over the last few years. And that's what I think cost me my job.
1: This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So, with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way, and more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode is a rare breed in football, a one-club man who spent 16 years at Southampton, considered a maverick, nicknamed a god, but overlooked on the international stage. Matt Letizier, welcome to Upfront. Thanks, son. Good to be I, here. I feel very privileged, to be honest with you, because it's third time lucky for me. Um, 22 years ago I had a brief phone conversation with you and Glenn Cockrell trying to entice you to come to Crystal Palace (laughs) a couple of years ago I tried to ask you to come on a show and you turned me down
0: I didn't turn you down so third time lucky we've got you here I was busy (laughs) All
1: right. okay Um, look the whole subject matter is to talk about you and the various things in your life and obviously find some relatability in all the things we talk about but what I often do is start when I talk to people like you is talk about their makeup and the mechanics of their achievements and where it came from. And and one of the sort of stock in, que- stock in trade questions is sort of defining a winner. I, I like to define a winner, but I also more importantly, like you guys that have competed at the highest level and achieved things uh, and, and got to a level of great recognition and achievements as to what you think a winner looks like. Um. And would you class I think yourself a winner as one? Looks like? Would you class yourself as
0: one? Yeah, absolutely. I class myself as one. Um, I've classed myself as a winner in life. I, I've got to the age of fifty-four, and uh, I can honestly say I've never really woken up on a day where I had to go to work and thought, "I don't really fancy this today." And if you can wake up every day, go and do your job, and it not feel like a job then I think you're a winner. Because
1: I'll tell you why I asked. Because ultimately, there was this debate the other day on on a show that I did with Martin Keown where he was talking about Arsenal. Yep. And he was talking about the players being winners. And Ferdinand went after him and basically said, a winner is somebody that wins something uh, and somebody that elects to compete in the biggest space and wins in that particular environment. And, And the reasons why I ask you about it is because... You obviously elected to stay mm-hmm. at one particular football club yep. um, and take ostensibly the opportunities that existed in that space. And some would say that's comfortable, that's yep. easy. And I suppose I'm pushing back against the notion because <laughs> I think winning is giving your best all the time. That's what I think winning There's is. There's lots
0: of definitions of, of what a winner is. Um, you know, I've given one, uh, and people who have and successful football teams and have won things will say that being a winner is that uh, and and I completely get why they would say that Um, for me as a young kid growing up in Guernsey uh, from about the age of 8 years of age I can remember having two ambitions in my life one of them was to be a professional footballer and the other one was to play for England I got to achieve those by the age of 25 and for me that's a win that's a win for me. No, nobody from Guernsey had ever played for England before, ever. Right. And so to have that ambition as a, as an eight year old kid, that was that was quite something. Right. Because I spoke to Souness, um, Graham
1: Sunes the other day, who who described you as the most talented player that he'd either played with or managed. Wow. Um, he talked about your preference. Why do for- you keep dropping me then? <laughs> Well that's a different <laughs> discussion. He talks about your preference for McDonald's. Um and and Stuart Pearce called you the milkshake king today. Um but but um but he talked about this talent, this natural talent yeah. and the fact that given Suness's back catalog of who he's played for and yeah. where he's managed, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty much up there with accolades, isn't yeah. it? And he doesn't doesn't dispense
0: them too no, freely. I, I know that. That's so does I said. that wow.
1: does that not lend you to the conclusion that there were better opportunities for you and bigger outcomes that you could have had when you look back
0: retrospectively. Maybe not at the yeah, time, possibly. but when you look back on it. Yeah, possibly there were there were things I could have I could have done. I could have joined, I could have joined Spurs in 1990. Could have joined Liverpool in '92, I think it was. Could have joined Chelsea in 1995. But um, when you say could
1: have, I mean were there offers in, to, in for you? Yeah, or yeah. Or was I mean, it, I, I, really s- I needed discussions.
0: I nearly signed for Spurs when I was 21. All right. Yeah, I actually signed a contract to join Spurs and changed my mind. Uh, before the two, who was the manager? A degree to fee Terry Venables. Venables, yeah, in 1990. So uh, I often say this when people say, oh, "How come he didn't get so many caps for England?" Um, and you so think it's because of that? In 1990, when I turned Spurs down, Terry was manager, and what, when my agent went back to him and said, "No, Matt's not, Matt's not coming," my agent ran me back and said, "Terry wants to speak to you," because mm. I hadn't spoken to Terry, just representatives at Spurs, and and I went. No, I don't want to speak to him. I've made my mind up. Right. And then in 1995, okay. when Chelsea tried to buy me, Glenn Hoddle was manager. Right. And the exact same thing happened. Okay. And I went, I've made my mind up. I don't want to speak to him now. Right. That was hard for me because Glenn was my hero as a kid. Mm. I was a Spurs fan growing up. Glenn Hoddle was my absolute idol. I based everything I did on a football pitch. On Hoddle. On Glenn Hoddle yeah. and Liam Brady to a to mm. a certain extent as well. I wanted I wanted my left foot to be decent like Liam Brady's as well. Um so those those two guys were my heroes. So to to turn him down and go, no, I don't want to talk to him. That was quite a big thing. And then he became the next England manager as well. So uh, and both of them kind of gave me a couple of opportunities, but not many. The one thing that I would say when people say you can get didn't get as many caps, it was a lot harder, I think, back in the nineties, we had a lot more really good forward thinking English players um, so you know you had Peter Beersley, mm. Teddy Sheringham uh, you know people like Robbie Fowler and, and Stan Collymore and Ian Wright and Les Ferdinand all these guys that probably you know you look at their ability and, and a lot of them would say I should have had more caps mm. Andy Cole the amount of goals that he scored and the, the caps that he got so there's, there was a lot of talent around there and obviously Gaza um, you know and Gaza was probably a big a big part of that the disappointing thing from my point of view is that I was given three starts for England I got eight caps, but only three of them were were starts. One of those games was abandoned after twenty seven minutes. So I played the, in the game, game in, yeah. in Dublin, yeah. Yeah. and the other two appearances were three years apart. That's not really any great opportunity mm. to show what you can do at international level. So, what do you attribute that to them? Uh, I attribute that to the the team that I was playing at the time. Um, I think there was definitely a a big club bias at, uh, in the nineties, um, and I also attribute that to the reputation that I was given by the media as uh, well of being a uh, a luxury lazy player now uh i was labeled that very early on you know unfit and it's very difficult when you get that reputation as a teenager to shake that off for the rest of your career because you get labeled now and it's you know i mean i i always say to people if I, how how could i have been lazy if in 540 appearances for a team for the majority of that were in the bottom half of the table mm. 540 appearances. I scored 209 goals. Mm. Probably created another hundred or so. I couldn't do that if I was lazy. When we were in uh, at the bottom of the table in uh, the did second it annoy week generally, does, does it does it annoy you? And did it annoy you at the time being called lazy? I think it, I thought it was unfair. Yeah. But you can't fight against
1: the machine, so I I took it. 209 goals in the amount of games that you played. I think there 165 of them at 443 league games, something like that, was not it? If you divided that, prorated it by 38 games in the Premier League, you'd be scoring 14 goals a season, every season, which is attributed as great success for Jermaine Defoe, being a prolific goal scorer in the Premier League mm. it's an interesting dynamic isn't it how people can make figures represent it one way and yet characterise people in another
0: it is but it was it was a very different time uh, back then there was not we weren't so much stats based back then it was very opinion based yeah um, you know I was, a, I was a 21 the year I, I won the young player of the year in 1990 I scored 24 goals that season I was 21 years of age scoring 24 goals now if you bring That forward to today's football, and you put an English midfielder, yeah, and and uh, at 21 years of age, scoring 24 goals in the season. Do you think he would be in the England squad?
1: You would, uh, you, on the balance of probability, on you'd the find balance it difficult not to argue with yes. the fact that he
0: should or shouldn't be. Wouldn't okay, so during that season, I didn't even get a mention for being in an England squad, scoring right. 24 goals at the age of 21, not, not a mention.
1: You've got an interesting philosophy because I, I half agree with the idea of what a winner looks like, which is the ability to go out and do something, only do what you want to do because you enjoy it, and the ability to have an opportunity to have to do it. But I also think you've got to define it by some form of meritocracy. Yeah, right. I think. Do you I think, think th- you were? Did you enjoy being a sort of the I, I suppose the embodiments of a big fish in a small pond? Hmm. Was that part of your yeah, motivation? Yeah,
0: hundred percent. And I've always, I've always admitted that I've always enjoyed being the the small fish in the big pond or the big fish in the small pond. Um, and I've and that's something that is part of my makeup. So what people have to realise about me, when they talk about winners, uh, you assume that everybody goes into football because they want to win trophies. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I always viewed football as an entertainment industry. All right. And my, my first thought when I go out on a football pitch is, I want to entertain people today. Now on the back of that, Entertaining people for me is about creating and scoring goals. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what people go and watch football matches for. So on the back of that, that leads to results. But that wasn't my primary motivation. My primary motivation was to enjoy myself on a football pitch because I knew I was good at it. And I wanted to make people happy by watching me play football.
1: Did you think of yourself as a maverick?
0: <sighs> Did I think of myself as a maverick? I knew I was different, yeah. I knew I was different. I knew I had a different mentality to a lot of people uh, and I knew I had a very different skill set to pretty much everybody I played with. But on the back of that, I was always the first person to admit that there was stuff that my teammates could do that I couldn't do. I needed them to be able to do their job for me to be able to do my job.
1: Do you think staying at Southampton, I mean, you've talked about it as being comfortable, um, because you're a ballsy character, you don't care what you say and you don't and you stand by it, right? Yeah. And in fact, you didn't want to talk to Venables and you didn't need to talk to Glenn Hoddle because you'd made your mind up, shows yep. a certain resilience and stubbornness and a belief in yourself and a, and a fortitude to stay with what you think and you're not necessarily there for turning. Yeah. Do you think staying at, at one club is beyond the comfortable side of things? Is it a combination of loyalty and comfort or does it, or, and finish it, or does it, really move into the
0: territory with a bit of a lack of ambition. There, there was definitely a loyalty part of that. I always felt like I felt like I owed Southampton Football Club something. They gave me the opportunity to achieve my See, I like that. Yeah.
1: Uh, achieve it's a two-way my way transaction, isn't it? As, you know, Absolutely. It's a two-way transaction, yeah. Like the Ivan Tony situation now, which is the basis of Brentford
0: on a standby. I mean, he needs to sign a new contract. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So there was, there was always that. I always had that feeling that this football club gave me the chance to achieve my childhood ambitions. So that was always one thing. The other thing was that the fans at Southampton Football Club were right from the very first time I set foot on a pitch were unbelievably good to me. Yeah, uh, And I've always felt like I owed them something as well. But there, there was also that bit of me that was, you know, Happy to be in a comfortable situation at my football club where I knew I could play football the way that I wanted to play it. And I probably couldn't have done that if I'd have gone to a bigger club with mm. bigger ambitions. Mm. I would have had to have towed the line a little bit more. Uh, I would have had to have probably taken things a lot more seriously than I actually did. Um, uh, and, you know, got that winning mentality instead of an entertaining mentality
1: do you think um modern players any of the things that you've just said pop into their psyche
0: mm, don't think so i think if if it does it would be a very very rare rare very rare thing to do uh i think in this day and age it's uh, i think the the word loyalty is is kind of almost gone from football completely now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always had this feeling about loyalty that it's a, fans are the ones that have the predominant loyalty. And even they sometimes desert the course when it gets a bit yeah. tough. <laughs> um, but I always felt that loyalty was based upon, if I give you a contract, and Matt Letizio played for me and I'll give you a three-year contract, I expect you to do your very best for me for three years. And at Absolutely. the end of those three years, we part company or we don't part company. That's the end of it. And if you kiss the badge during the meantime, then fantastic. But realistically speaking, loyalty was a slightly, slightly misguided premise but when you look at, say, the sentiment that you deployed, which was being a one-club man, you've had a few of them around. You know, yep. Tony Adams, Stephen Gerrard, John Terry, uh, Ryan Giggs, um, and in Spain, Carlos Proil. Um yep. But why do you think it is so rare
0: now? Um, I think the opportunities that come along with transfers are quite tempting in terms of the uh, amount of money that you can make somewhere yep. else.
1: Role, one of the things now.
0: yeah, one of the things in, in my day that was probably the big difference now is that I could have so back in the mid 90s when Chelsea tried to buy me, for example, I think I was on about I don't know but I was on about two grand a week, something like that. And if I'd have moved to Chelsea, I'd have probably gone maybe ten grand a week. Right. So so the the jump is, you know, it's quite a big jump. Yeah, five times, yeah. Relatively speaking, when you're talking about in today's terms, you know, if I was at Southampton now, for example, and I was earning forty grand a week, and Man City came in for me and offered, and offered me two hundred and fifty mm-hmm. grand yeah. a week, I mean, even that might have tested my loyalty. <laughs> right? That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Of course, you it know, is. two grand to ten grand, and and that's the other thing. I never, I wasn't in football to become rich. I never took up football to become rich. I never took up football to become famous. And I never took up football to become rich. I took up football because I was good at it. Yeah. And I loved the sport. And I loved putting a smile on people's faces, watching the things that I could do on a football pitch.
1: Because I think that's an interesting, and I used to say this to some of the players, when I had young Wayne Routledge Palace and Spurs trying to buy him. Um, we just got promoted um, from the championship. Wayne was a young starlet, playing for the 17s, 18s at England. And, and he was coming up to a contract renewal and Spurs tried to get him. Daniel backdoored me. And try to get him, um, and
0: and I said to him, "Look, do you want to rephrase that? I mean, that doesn't sound good that Daniel backdoored you. Yeah,
1: it doesn't sound very good. It does It It doesn't sound good. You well, might yeah, need to no, cut that no, bit off. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that a bit. That, that, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, um, Daniel tried to. Uh, uh, I was going to say bend me over. That's not my. <laughs> 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 um, oh dear, where's um, this going? Yeah. Um, A young player at Palace, Wayne Routledge, and uh, Daniel Levy tried to pull a flanker on me and get him uh, without necessarily, um, uh, I would say, tapping up. We'll leave that as an allegation that's yet to be substantiated. But what I said to 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 Wayne was, um, learn your trade, develop your career. If you're a good player, you're going to get the opportunities. Because it's interesting that you talked about because there's very few paupers that are good at football. If you're good at it and you get an opportunity to be successful and you're playing for a football club, then your your talent will come to the surface and you'll not be a secret and you'll get a move. Yeah. So it's interesting that you've got that as part of your thinking, which is, you know, I want it to be good. I don't think it exhibits enough in the modern-day football. I think there's too much money around I think there's too many people in up people's ears. Yep. I think too many people are being influenced by the wrong outcomes. Yep. Not that this is a direct link to that, but what do you make of... Harry Kane's situation Mm. and the thinking behind the choices that he's made. I mean, I know that he tried to, the allegation is, that he tried to get out of Man City a year ago and probably the interview of Gary Neville didn't help the cause and (laughs) probably having his kid brother as an agent probably didn't help it much either because he's (laughs) not plugged into the real understanding of how to do big deals. Can you relate to Harry Kane? Can you put yourself in his shoes and think what his thinking is?
0: Yeah, 100% I can. I mean, Harry's obviously become uh, Spurs' all-time leading goal scorer which will be something that will you know that's that's a legacy that's a proper legacy Um, you know I would have loved to have done that at Southampton I didn't quite catch Mick Shannon which is something that annoys me to this day spinning (laughs) arm spinning arm but I I think what Harry has done uh, at Spurs has been incredible the only person who knows what's in his head and what he thinks and what he wants to achieve in his life is is Harry himself and, I suppose
1: would be considered a big club but so with, he's already yeah. in
0: that big club space isn't he and he's, and he's, and he's not going to be like me and have to work for the rest of his life you know well, I, I didn't know but,
1: but that's timing isn't it I mean you, yeah, come, yeah, you come out of the game in 2000 oh, not, 2002 that's 2003 not me, that's not me being bitter no, I didn't in, think it was. in any way what shape or form. what I'm saying is all. if you played now yeah, you'd be getting hundred grand a week, mm. right? So you'd have the same situation. I'd be on more than that, or whatever. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd need that to prop up your fast food diet, right? <laughs> See, that's a myth as well. See that whole
0: McDonald's thing. I just—I'm going to address Cockrell's, that. God,
1: Glenn Cockrell was your captain at Southampton, and he's the one that told me. It. But and it was supported by Suness. and soonest also told me that he tried to get you to change, <laughs> tried to get your your routine to be a little bit different, tried to get you to. Um, to conform to what was his way of thinking, and you pulled a thigh, pulled a thigh or something, went, up. No, leave him. Let him get on what he was doing. He's winning games for us. He's the most talented player I've ever had play for me. I'll let it alone. Yeah. Um, so it's not true. So Glenn Cockle's so, saying so that the, you eat McDonald's on the way so to the, every the, game
0: was not true. Certainly not, not on the way to a game. I would never have Your a McDonald's meal. on the way Your of it. meal was no, chicken nuggets. It was never. it was never, ever. And I didn't, re- I didn't actually like... Never, the, ever. I didn't like the burgers from McDonald's, really. Oh, dear. What would, would you prefer, Wimpy? Um... I'm a fish and chip man really oh much better I, yeah, yeah bad sausage yeah. and chips is probably the one if I went to Logical McDonald's pre-match meal from what they're talking about is well I used to go there before training and I used to oh, have oh, the, much better and I used to have a sausage and egg McMuffin <laughs> uh, on occasions on the way to so training so the
1: McDonald's is not but, a but, I I, no, then, but there's,
0: there's a yeah. But there's this thing that thinks that I I lived on burgers and stuff, and I didn't. I didn't even like the burgers from McDonald's, quite frankly. Uh, but their sausage and egg muffins were quite good. <laughs> I didn't have that every day, and I certainly never had it on the day of a game. I would never have. I would never have done that.
1: Wasn't there an element of until we had the sort of Wenger revolution? Yeah,
0: you
1: would have been caught in between two stalls, wouldn't you?
0: There you'd was have been no sports two cultures. Yeah, there was not know? a lot of sports science in our day.
1: You were very successful and very prolific. In fact, you missed one, didn't you, in penalties. Mm. I have this thing, right, and, and a, a lot of you guys won't like it. And Martin Kieran doesn't like it, and Stuart Pierce didn't like it. I had the audacity to call Stuart Pierce across the studio a bottler for missing a penalty in the World <laughs> Cup. And I liked Stuart a lot, and at that moment, he didn't like me very much. But I questioned Harry Kane. It's very easy for me to sit there and say something. But as a professional footballer, I think you take a penalty,
0: you should score. That's your job.
1: Yeah. But, and that's what it's there for I think
0: I feel I feel embarrassed that I missed one
1: right I mean how much of a skill in terms of technique because obviously with the with the moniker of you being one of the most gifted players that we've seen mm-hmm. and that's being supported by people that you've played for and, and you'll probably think it yourself anyway um how much of <laughs> of, of, of technical ability and 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 a variety of other things make somebody... Because I remember growing up with Ray Stewart, who was a West Ham penalty, he said, walk down the middle Just and smash it. it right? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I think for, for me, penalty taking is probably... I think it's probably about 90% of it is yeah, right. in your head. And 90% of it is the way you approach it. I think if you're going to be a penalty taker, you have to look forward to taking penalties. You have to embrace that situation. You've got to be really comfortable with the entire football stadium watching you and you only for that split second.
1: But I, I'm picking up on my observation, about the observation that's made by a lot of people about the principle of bottling. Because right. people said that Harry Kane bottled it. I think he did. Because if it's in your mind... For, for, what, for what? No one saved it. I was wrong. I called Stuart Pierce a bottler uh, for missing that penalty in 1990, and then I realised that the goalkeeper saved it. So that's not as much that... But, but Oh, okay.
0: So if you miss the target, you're saying it's... Bo- it's correct. It. Oh, that's okay. a distinction so that's I that's distinction. Right, If you miss you. a
1: penalty, if the goalkeeper makes a world-class save and, and you've had a real good go at it and the goalkeeper makes a brilliant save, yeah. then you have to give credit to the goalkeeper. You do. If you miss the target and or... I uh, get that. I get uh, that. I, I, that. Missing I think there's the more than a from, bottling. M-
0: missing the target from 12 yards as a professional footballer in a situation where you are the chosen penalty taker, it, it, that's probably not a good look. But is it bottling? You know, is it is it bottling it? You you could only... The only person that knows if they bottled it or not is the person taking the penalty because they know what's going on between their ears. What's the alternative? So, so if I've you don't have target, to, what else can it be then? So I listened to Paul Merson tell a story um, where he had a penalty at, at Bramwell Lane. He said he put the ball down on the penalty spot. Right. And he walked back and he looked at the goal and he knew he couldn't score. Yeah. Right. And... And he said it was just. The, he said the the couldn't goal looked, the score, goal the yeah. goal the goalkeeper looked massive. The goal looked really small, and he just knew he couldn't score. But he said, uh, even though he felt that he couldn't turn around to one of his teammates and so go, "You take over, yeah. you take this." He said he couldn't do that because that'd be a sign of weakness. So he stepped up and he smashed it over the crossbar. Right. It. So he knew it, and that's what I'm talking about the the mentality side of things. Now that it's you
1: bottling. could you could
0: argue yeah. is, is is bottling it.
1: Yeah, no, because I remember, again, with my side, Palace, we played Sunderland in a playoff semi-final in 2004. And we won the first leg 3-2. We went to their place, bashed them up for 75 minutes with 2-0 down, out of the competition, scored a goal in the 90th minute, Neil Shipley, who you'd have played with, right? I did play with The rumour training at Palace was seven laps around Neil Shipley. <laughs> Different discussion. He's a big but, lad. But he's a big lad. But Neil, um, Neil committed GBH on the goalkeeper and Darren Powell scored the goal to get us back in and we got to a penalty shootout and I watched from afar at the Stadium of Light senior players letting 17 year old kids walk up and take penalties yeah. you know Michael Hughes didn't want to take one he got he took one in the end he's like walking yeah. to the gallows Yeah. Um, but Wayne Routledge as a 17 year old kid was sent up to take a penalty and I'm watching these senior pros game. What, what the hell's doing? wrong
0: with you yeah what are you doing that, I think that's a, a big criticism I think you know, you could argue that uh, with the the penalty shootout in the European Championships. Hmm. Yep.
1: there
0: mm. were some there were some players there that you thought.
1: Yeah, why is he not? It was kind of ridiculous that, that Saka was put in a position where he'd never taken a penalty in his professional career. That was the
0: most horrific yeah. decision from an England manager, I think I've ever seen in my life.
1: What do you make of Southgate? Uh
0: I think I'm not enamoured with him. but What do you make of him? Uh, I think he's bloody lucky. I think he's lucky. done the bare minimum. Do you? I think he's done the bare minimum of what should have been expected given the teams that we played against.
1: I agree. I agree. I'll make the exact same case and point because everyone gets on this bandwagon about what we've achieved and how we've got to a World Cup semi-final and how we've got to a European Championship final. Mm. And I ask the question, who have we beaten
0: that we shouldn't have beaten? And look at the positions we were in in those games where yeah. we should have gone on.
1: Absolutely. And, and the decisions, that, the that, were decisions made the that were
0: made at the time. were were yeah. responsible for us not, not kicking on. So yeah. I think he's done the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, I mean because I look at the Italian game and I look at the decisions that were made uh when we are winning this game and the only time we change it is when they've scored.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought there were the, both the Croatia and the Italy game uh, there were, where we go 1-0 up and we don't go to kill the game Absolutely. off we sit back and we invite we invite the team on to Because
1: it. I mean I I, mean, I <laughs> Exactly the same. I felt that I, I call him Four Leaf Clover Boy because I think some of the managers that had were previous that could have had those draws. Even when you play Colombia, their best player ain't fit. Yeah, you know, and we played the Germans that were a shadow of themselves. And the only time we pl- we and that's why I was so keen and 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 enthusiastic to see us beat France because that would have shut me right up in yeah, my yeah. tracks. Yeah, that would have put people like me back in my box, which is basically you've now beaten somebody. Yeah, that on paper. The suggestion is you can't. You shouldn't. Yeah. Without wanting to be too vitriolic, do you think that it's um, a rewarding of mediocrity with Southgate getting the job in the first place and being continued to pay, be patronised?
0: Uh, I, I think what it is actually the, the more relevant point is who else is there? English managers. It, when does it have when, to be? Okay. When gar- have so, to be an so I manager? think I think it. I think an Englishman should manage England. Why? Because it's you, you're representing your country and you I should be it. from that country. But why? Because that Because,
1: because you that, get the culture of the country that's better, the, because you no, ultimately understand no, because the it's your, your pride
0: It's your pride in your country. And if you're gonna have an international tournament where all your players have to be English, although they've changed them rules now as well. Uh I I, I think your manager is still part and your manager should be under the same rules as your players should be, because you're all part of that same squad. So why is there a different rule for a manager, his eligibility, than there is for the players when you're all one team? That's my that's my thoughts on it. But I, I would prefer to see. What would you prefer to see? Would
1: you okay, I'm gonna cut question. you can tell me what you prefer to see. Would you prefer to see a winning England team or a team that has an England manager that's English?
0: Um I would prefer to see a winning England team with an England manager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
0: But if you had to have one or the other, you can tank with Sod. I have this uh, kind of innate feeling inside of me about fairness and about and about trying to do things properly. Hmm. And I think to do things properly, I my feelings are that if you're a manager of a national team, you should be that nationality.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree in an ideal world, but I'm also we live in a globalized world now, don't we? And I look at it and go best in class. well, and we may hate it, but it happens to this statement <laughs> of fact, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we are we are, we are, are affected by all manner of things around the world. We've opened up our marketplace. Everything in this country is being bought by everybody else besides yeah. the people that live in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much a, a, pr- a proud Englishman. I want our country to be proud of itself. I want us to be the best in class.
0: I want us to achieve things. So if so if so, you would prefer England to win the World Cup with an English manager or with a non-English manager? Or does it not really matter to you?
1: Well, I don't think it really matters to me that much. In an ideal utopian worlds, I'd like it to be completely indigenous so that we've got an England manager that was capable of leading the England side. We've had one before called Brian Clough, and he wasn't given an opportunity because he stepped into the area that I've alleged you are, which is a maverick, yeah. and wasn't prepared to accept the status quo. Yeah. Um. And, and probably would have been very successful in not accepting it, but it would have made people uncomfortable. And you yeah. can't make people uncomfortable in this country, can you? No,
0: it's That's not, not allowed. Good. That's
1: not a good thing. Not allowed. I just want to touch upon Harry Kane once more. Yep. And not to get you into clickbait territory, but just to get a perspective on it. Yeah. Um, do you think football fans would kind of accept Harry Kane prioritising prioritizing personal accolades over staying with Spurs?
0: Because he's only be he's, he's the right
1: to leave Spurs now, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, of course he has. Yeah. And,
0: and I, I funny enough, I, I had dinner with a, a group of Spurs fans recently and all of them to a man said, do you know what, if he went, we wouldn't have any complaints. He's mm. he's given his time here. He's done everything that he can in his, in, his, in his ability that he's got to try to win Spurs a trophy. It hasn't worked. I think Harry can hold his head high in the fact that he's done his job and he's probably been let down by the players around him. Mm. If every other player in that Tottenham team was doing their job as competently as Harry Kane was doing it'd his, right, yeah. they would have won a trophy by now.
1: All right. I'm going to move on to something that's um, probably dear to your heart, albeit it's been a slight... Attachment of the relationship recent times for a variety of reasons, but Southampton. Yeah, obviously they've gotten relegated. They've gotten relegated before. Yep, um, they've gone into administration as a football club previously. Yeah, um, and they've come back. They spent a lot of time out of the Premier League. Got dropped all the way down to League One, didn't they? Um, they did. Pardew took over and bought a player for me, Joseph Font, and built back up and got
0: up Indeed. back up the table. Thanks very much for that, by the way. It was great for us. It was all right, Joseph, wasn't it? Did a really good job for us. Yeah, yeah really yeah, a nice good. lad. Nice yeah.
1: lad, I um, Neil. I think Neil Warnock was the manager
0: there. Didn't I think? He, I think Neil thought he was too nice. There was that was the best two million pound Southampton have ever spent. I tell you, I, two million. I, I mean, you. No, no, I didn't get two million for it. No, no. I, let me finish. Uh, what well, did you know that I don't I, I know? I thought it was a million pound for Jose and a million pound for Ricky Lambert. Ah. So okay. that, in while we were in League One. Right. So that's the two million million yeah. I'm talking about. So you can tell me if it was different, that that's not what no, you I got, got for Josie. I
1: got, I got, I got um, Nicola Cortese, who was the architect of everything successful at Southampton. Everything was down to Nicola. <laughs>
0: but,
1: um When you look at Southampton this season, I know Martin Simmons. Yeah. I think he's quite a good lad. Yeah, I know him, um, yep. uh, The Southampton CEO. Where do you, I mean, you've got a new ownership model. And for them, a new owner, not a new ownership model. Yeah. Uh, for them, it's a car crash, isn't it? You know, the first season they've been in control, uh, in sole control, clank,
0: they've gone through the floor. After investing a lot of money as Where well. Where do you
1: lay the blame at that?
0: I think the biggest portion, because you can't just lay it on one person. Um, when the club gets relegated, there's obviously multiple things that are well, going wrong. Well,
1: they made the case about recruitment, do not they? They're talking about the fact so, they bought a lot of young players they so, didn't have enough senior players in the dressing room yeah, to balance it off.
0: I, I think the, the majority of the of the blame lies with the recruitment policy for this season. You know, we have spent nearly 140 million quid this season. Yeah. We've never done that in our history ever without selling somebody Mm. else for, for big money. Um, And you have to look at that and say, how can we, after having spent that amount of money, be detached at the bottom of the Premier League? I don't think you can look at the actual owners themselves. You know, they've, they've put their hands in their pockets to a serious, to a serious extent, and gone right. We're going to back you. Here's here's a whole bunch of money that blindly, you've never had before, but blindly backing you. Yeah, because no uh, one would, no so, one would
1: suggest that underspending 140 million quid on a series of young players
0: when the balance in the dressing room
1: isn't right is good business.
0: sense. So yeah, recruitment, recruitment for me was the, probably the biggest part. The players themselves got to take a look at themselves because I saw some woeful performances yeah. this season. And honestly, I was at, I was at the the game when they got relegated against Fulham, and. Seriously, some of those players made me look like a workhorse.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: it was incredible. I've, I've right. sat in that in that stadium and watched a team go down without a fight. Right, and I and for all the accusations that were levelled at me in my career, the one you would never have, uh, have have thrown at me was that when we were in a relegation scrap, I did not hide. You
1: didn't stomach for it, yeah.
0: You know, and and what I witnessed in that game against Fulham was not nice. Do you think they were right to take Noodle out? Um, I think at the time I could understand the decision. The club hadn't really moved forward in terms of uh, where we were when he took over. Now, you could argue that he wasn't really backed. Mm. However, this season he Got had, been, crew, he had yeah. been backed. He not, he, not all of that 140. Some of that was in January when he wasn't right. there. So it was about 80, I think, in the summer that we spent, which is still, still a significant we spent spend. Yeah. That kind of yeah. So um, he was backed for the first time. How much say did he have in those transfers? I don't know. Mm. Um, I liked Ralph personally. Uh, as a coach, I liked the way that he tried to get his teams to play. I thought sometimes he had deficiencies in terms of he kept trying to go back to a three at the back, which our players were not capable of playing. And every time we did it, we just got smashed. Um, some of his substitutions were bizarre uh, in yeah. in game management. So are you getting to the point bit, where you think it was time? So I think I could understand why the decision yeah. was made. Then once you've made that decision, you then it's have about, to you yeah. then have to get it right. What did you make of Nathan Jones? Because because it was because a car crash.
1: It was a car crash on it?
0: it. It was. It wasn't crash. at that level, was he? But
1: I don't think it was at that not at that level in terms of his ability to coach. No. I think they thought they made some really educated decisions based upon the numbers that came out and the reasons and why they made decisions. It yeah, I had, yeah. But it was his ability to manage Premier League footballers was the problem on it.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think his ability to uh, come across well in his press conferences mm. as well. I thought it's just a little bit bizarre. And the sometimes. players will be
1: listening to that and finding anything they can use as an excuse for the reasons for their performances not coming up
0: to snuff. Well, you know that. You know yeah. that more than most. Mm.
1: <laughs> Do you think they're in a position, Southampton, to bounce back?
0: Uh, it appears from uh, the statements that have been made so far from Sport Republic that you know they're still willing to to be there and back the club. Mm. Um, so we've well, got no bleeding choice from, <laughs> really. uh, from that point of view. Not really. From that point of view. I guess it all depends on how many how many of those players kind of we lose the you know the few decent ones that were he's going to go though, isn't he? Yes,
1: Ward Prowse is going to go isn't
0: he? I would imagine so. Mm. I would imagine so. And um, and and a few of the other again, like Harry Kane, deserve
1: to go and be good to get rid of them, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. But like Harry Kane, I don't think any Salampton fans would begrudge James Ward Prowse move right now.
1: I mean. I suppose we've answered this question, but I, I want to weave him into the conversation anyway because he's popping up now at Chelsea. I mean, he was exciting at Southampton Pochettino. He went on to develop a good side at Spurs. I, I think he's a bridesmaid. I, I think anyone can win in France with PSG. And I think I'm yet to be convinced that he's an overall winner Pochettino and, they, and to go and manage Chelsea doesn't matter what people suggest about Topoli right now you have to win sooner rather than later yeah um, but Southampton since Pochettino have pretty much regressed though haven't they even with the
0: case that we make for no, Hasenhutl not quite do you not think so not quite because we had Ronald Koeman right so Ronald Koeman was more successful at Southampton than Pochettino was which kind of tends to get forgotten yeah you're right yeah so you're Pochettino, right. we finished eighth under Poch, Poch yeah. Uh, under Ronald. Funny narratives that they get created in one's mind We finished seventh and sixth, I think. We had European football. Um Poch under got you under Cla- Claude Pueel, Claude who everyone hated. Now this was but that was interesting because we finished uh the season that, that Puel took us to eighth. Uh and everybody was going, Oh, he shouldn't have shouldn't have been sacked, he shouldn't have been sacked, he got us to eighth. Mm. Which which sounds great, but from where we were the season before, where I think we'd also finished 8th the season before, but we'd finished 8th with 17 less points Right under Puel. And so the bar oh, was lower. Uh, the, so the points were a lot lower. The performances and the level of entertainment. Far less like, Oh, my God. Do, is- you see
1: any, do you see any parallels between Southampton and Brighton? Because once upon a time, I remember there were yep. two academies in this country that were really revered, and I'm going to take Credit for one of them, because Palace was a great academy. Yep. Out came Bostock. Out came uh, Victor Moses. Out came Nathaniel Klein, and, who you lot bought. Um, yep. Out came um, Wilfred. Um, and on and on I can go. And then the Southampton Academy produces uh, Theo Walcott, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Gareth uh, Bale. Bell. Gareth Bell, and I know And I know my mate Rupert Lowe took a lot of pride in the reflective glory of that. But you see, uh, and Southampton were always one of these clubs, it seems that were constantly asked to replenish. Yeah, They produced players, they saw the vision in certain players, got them in the side, played well, someone else come along and played and nicked them. Yeah. And there's an element of that That's going what on at Brighton. Do you see similarities? There is an inevitability. Southampton couldn't keep on replenishing it's, and yeah. keep on having to buy cheaply Selling high, Sadio Mane goes out the door. Ricky yep. Lambert goes off to Liverpool. Adam Lallana, yep. Gareth Bale, etc., etc.,
0: etc., etc. It's Can- re- it's really difficult. I mean, you know yourself how hard it is to keep hold of a player who is being coveted by mm. one of the big boys. Um, and that is football. You know, the re- the harsh reality of football is that ninety nine percent of all football clubs are selling clubs. Yeah, it's just at what level you're to sell. Yeah, all. absolutely.
1: Everything for sale. Someone's prepared to pay the price, right?
0: Absolutely. So, um so it is incredibly difficult and that's why it's so hard to break into you know the real top echelons of football mm. unless you now have what used to be hundreds of millions is now, you know, you're talking about billions now to to try and break into uh that level where you're, where you're really challenging with the big boys. So it's I think, Bright What Brighton have done have been incredible. Um, I think do you think? It's just, do you think? I mean, can I, they sustain it? Yeah, is the, because is I the, get a, I get the, the impression question. that
1: they're miles ahead of everybody else. In because I mean, whilst data is only as good as what you do with it, the understanding of what you're buying and the reasons why you're buying it, and the thought process is about not the moneyball mentality that, that yeah. people think it is. Yeah but i get the impression that brighton are really really in a groove right now i really the, understand yeah. what they're doing and why they're doing it and they're probably a couple of years ahead of everyone else yeah but do you think there's a possibility that brighton could find themselves in a similar situation yeah, because course. every time they produce top players
0: some bugger's going to come along and meet the buy price aren't they absolutely well and not just it's not just on the field as well you know if you start getting a recruitment department yeah. that is doing well they're going to get yeah, by the big boys yeah, and, and that's happened to us You know, and so it's It's really difficult to keep replenishing and replenishing. At some point, you know, you will get it wrong on occasion because football, Mm. you know, nobody gets every decision right. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: I'm going to move you on to punditry Mm. Um, and your uh, involvement with that. Yeah. You were part of Soccer Saturday, Mm -hmm. um, which was, I I think, phenomenal. I, I think phenomenal because we're staring at a group of guys talking about something with a teleprinter and I used to watch it for hours, <laughs> um, and you find it. So we made oh, it fun. Well, this is it. I was going to say to you, what what do you put down the success of it to? Because uh, it is successful.
0: It 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 was successful. It oh, was successful. Uh, sorry. <laughs> they made big decisions that obviously changed the direction of like uh, that. They, they did. Um, the camaraderie between the between mm. the panel, we all knew how to push each other's buttons, as as you know you know too well from working with Jim because <laughs> um, I, I listen to you and I can I can see the similarities with, what, with what's happening. But the great thing was we could have these really debates. We all loved our football. That's the first thing. Yep. So first thing was we all still loved football. We loved watching football. We were passionate about our teams. And that came across, I think, to the people watching the show. Uh, secondly, we all knew that we could have really good debates on things. We could have polarized opinions and we could have a proper argument about it. But we knew when that subject was finished. We would move on, and we'd still all be mates. Mm -hmm. You know, we we wouldn't fall out over our opinions. Mm. We had sensible, grown up, sometimes grown up, adult conversations about things, and we made it fun. And I think that's what that's what made it so popular. What drove the changes, in your view? What drove the changes? Um, Was it diversity driven? I think the yeah. I mean, once once Comcast had bought sky, mm-hmm. it changed overnight. Yeah, It changed overnight and all of a sudden it was it was diversity and uh, uh inclusion and all that stuff. Um so I guess we kind we can't saw you, it coming. didn't
1: you wasn't didn't you say that the reasons why they're part of companies I hate using the word because it's one of those media words, isn't it? But but you, you said the reasons why you were part of companies
0: because of your views on coronavirus. Uh, I think partially, yeah. I think that was partially to do with it, partially to do with my my views on Black Lives Matter. Yeah, not wearing the badge on on Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that that went down very well. I was quite critical of um, the mainstream news media and my social media. Uh, Why didn't
1: you wear the badge? I wouldn't have worn it, and and principally, I don't agree with some of the sentiments behind it, not just because it was indexed to a, a political movement, but I also
0: was uncomfortable with the allegation that our society was institutionally racist. Absolutely, and that's exactly why I I wouldn't, I didn't, I'd kind of... We've come, got racism I, in our I'd society, you'd across, accept that, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But if you, think that, if you think that by wearing uh, a badge like that, yeah. you're going to change the mind of the small minority of people in this country who are racist if you think that by wearing a badge that's going to change it you're living in cloud cuckoo land because the people who are racist and I think that there is a, a very tiny minority of people in my opinion in this country who are who are racist
1: I agree um, on both sides and I of think the divide.
0: majority of people uh, in this country are good people and don't see skin colour and I think that is I getting agree. better with each generation I don't, yeah. I'm not saying it hasn't been in the past but I from what I've seen growing up I've seen a massive shift from my generation to my daughter's generation now uh, in how they see people. Of course. Uh, And it's getting better all the time. So, And I think we don't talk about that often enough in a positive light. Um, uh, And so, yeah, that was, I think, one of the reasons why they didn't like me very much. But one of the things that um, alongside that
1: scenario is I'm really unhappy at this moment in time with the agendaizing of sports mm-hmm. and the leveraging of it. And I, yep. I, know I I wrote an article in a newspaper the other day about why can't sport just, just be, be sport. about sport? Absolutely. Yep. And, and the only people that don't want it to be about sport are the activists yep. that want to highlight their particular cause.
0: It. They want to hijack sport because sport is so popular with people and politics is not popular with yep. people. And the only way politics can get their noses into people's everyday lives is if they hijack sport. And that, is for me that is not acceptable
1: but some people would say it has always been thus some people would say that you and i are idealists you know 1936 that this is the classic yeah. case of when it should never have been leveraged because if ever there was a situation yeah. where you should prove the point that politics and sport should never be put in the same place is the foul messages that hitler was putting out in the 1936 olympics right Mm-hmm. So that should have been a blueprint for never having used it there again. Absolutely, because I'm constantly confronted with the idea that my my sentiments of, you know, which cause it's like George Orwell's expression, one one animal is more equal than another. Which cause is more worthy? Because at this moment in time, you've got you know, you've got climate crisis, you've got homelessness, you've got homophobia, you've got misogyny, you've got transphobia, <laughs> you've got Islamophobia, you've got knife crime, you've got Cost of living, you've got infl- every cause you can think of. And I, I make the argument that, you know, uh, we'll have calls, 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 and a side order of sports. Yep. And it can't be right that that is what sport is for. Sport, to me, it, I know it will chime with you because you, you're you in the business of wanting to entertain, is the ultimate in escapism.
0: Absolutely. It should be nothing that more. That's exactly what it should be. Uh, it should be escapism, and, and that's why I think it's been targeted Yeah, um, by the by the political people mm. uh, to, and, and it's just been so frustrating for me to see the amount of fear mongering that has gone on and they, and they've infiltrated sport to continue that. Um, and I've, I found that so hard to deal with so hard to not say anything about over the last few years. And that's what I think cost me my job.
1: Does it rankle with you? I mean, because I've just made the observation, and I say you are on the bus about certain things. I don't agree with certain things. I, I, I wouldn't I expect and you problem. to. I wouldn't expect
0: anybody. You could, you're could. you never, ever going to find anyone in your life who agrees with everything that you no, say.
1: No, absolutely. And, but and we've got to be adults and, about having you know, a conversation and, and, and about unless it. Unless you spend your whole life in an echo chamber, all right? and then you'll always agree with what everyone else says because you're in the same space. So I think it's right for but, people to have different views. I don't like the idea that someone being, someone has a different view. Should be shut down mm. and not had that view debated. I don't believe that people should be able to say irresponsible things, and if they're in positions of influence, just be able to say whatever they want without any consequence. Because
0: whilst I believe in freedom of speech, which I know you so, do, it, it doesn't come with freedom of consequence. So, so who's the arbiter of that? Who becomes the arbiter? And this is where this is the well, really an interesting one. Bit. But I mean, I think who, who judges that? Well, I think who I'll, judges what's hate speech? Well, yes. Who do you put in charge oh, but,
1: of that? No, that's that's a and that's what, a useful point. And what point.
0: qualifications have those people got? That, that nobody else on this but planet have got to be able to there judge self-evident. what anyone else can speak. There were self-evidence so yes, examples. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, but I, again, when we're talking about certain situations that have manifested themselves over the last two or three it's years, com- there was an unhealthy inability to be able to, to advance certain points, it's- whether it was the Great Barrington Declaration for yep. COVID or a variety of other things about racism where people ran away and didn't want to say anything because it had too much of a consequence for them. That leads me to you because... You said what you meant, and you meant what you said. Yep. And it's got you this sort of moniker of having it, the conspiracy theory. You get into the territory of being an anti-vaxxer, and people that I think it's preposterous, because mm-hmm. I'm assuming you've had vaccinations in your life. You yep. just did. Had, you just had a challenge with this one, yep. right, which by That's definition doesn't make you an anti-vaxxer. Exactly it means right. you've got an issue with one particular part of it. Yep. But it's taken you from, I mean, I, I don't know if you take this sort of stuff seriously, from Le God to to a... In certain people's minds, and possibly the mainstream to certain extents, to a bit of a pariah. I mean, how does that? I don't think you are, but other people have, and you've got a mainstream broadcaster like Sky that possibly taken that position. The consequences were were they worth it for you to have your freedom of speech? Where yeah. you do you feel that actually you couldn't have lived with yourself if you said, "I'm not doing this. I don't believe it. I'm I standing t- up for this. I don't I, care."
0: I don't. I don't toe the line when. Uh, I don't think it's right. I, I won't. Um, never have done. And the consequences of that uh, meant that I, I lost my job, which, you know, that's I, I I miss that a little bit because I miss working with my mates. Yeah. We've got really good camaraderie. Fortunately, we still get together from time to time. We're doing a, a, a pundits tour that we've been around the country doing, so we still get together. Um, so I... I I did miss, and as I said before, I never once woke up on a Saturday morning and thought, "Oh God, I've got to go to work today." No, it was fun. It was it was great. So uh, I miss that, but uh, I wouldn't do anything differently. i I've, I feel like a a much freer person not having to toe the line by uh, by working for a. Do you company think you could have that- been
1: smarter though? Because I'm like you, right? I've got balls, and I don't care what I say and I've got strong views, and I've said similar things to you uh, along the issues of, say, racism in sport, along the issues of sport's response to the COVID policy of this country in terms of uh, the ridiculousness of the way that we handled lockdowns and the way that we uh, expected sport to behave from isolation programs and so on and so forth. Yet I haven't got myself cancelled, and you have to some extent. And you've had a consequence to it. That's so, fine, is there I'm a balance between I, I'm, speaking I'm your okay mind and getting the your point across, or is there is there an, is there a, a sort of self harming perspective where no. you said what you meant, you meant what you said, and ultimately you reap the whirlwind of it?
0: No self harm uh, at all. Uh, I've but you no, have been careful no things, and it has pissed you off. I have no regrets. No regrets whatsoever. I've been cancelled from like a couple of after dinner speeches. Yes, yeah, I saw you on telly because, talking about it because uh, some um, people got a bit upset that I was allowed to speak about football to them. Uh, I mean, this is the world Postureous that enough. we live yeah. in. Like my after, din- on of my other after dinner yeah. speech <laughs> that I do, I talk about football and I talk about my my media career. I don't I don't touch on anything else, and yet I was being c- cancelled from these <laughs> from these jobs because you know I'm a conspiracy theorist. Um, which is just beyond the pale, really. Uh, and as I said, I have no no regrets for anything that's happened. I feel I'm probably
1: you were a bit strong on the Ukraine, Ukraine, a, a, Ukraine, lot,
0: Ukraine, a right? lot happier. So the Ukraine thing. Mm. So my point with the Ukraine thing is that the the whole thing that blew up about the tweet that I retweeted. The point of that tweet is to say, during times of war. Both sides will engage in propaganda. And yeah. if you don't believe that, then you're, you're are some kind of yeah. idiot. Yeah. So that was my point. I, I could have made the point differently. Yeah. I, I and I apologize. I actually I did delete the the, the tweet. I apologize for the tweet. I deleted it and said this is how I, I should have done it. Uh, and that's what I think we should do in an adult society. If you if you mess up, hold your hand up and go, I'm sorry I, I about that. I, I this is what I this is what I actually meant. And uh, I'm sorry, but about that, that doesn't get the airtime, does it? Let's move on. That no, part it doesn't. doesn't get the airtime. Of course, it doesn't.
1: So, does that that must piss you off a little bit that there is a kind well, of no, of you?
0: Yeah. As but, a result of it. But do you know what's what the really strange thing is, though, Simon, is that the media perception of me um, is very different to what happens in real life. So in my yeah. life, yeah. in my life, when I'm out and I, I live but it's not punters, I live a completely it's not normal life. Yeah,
1: I'm the same as you, mate. So, it's not the punters giving you the gigs though in life, is it? It's yeah, not the punters well, that surprised. control your
0: representation. Well, to a degree. You'd be surprised. I still earn enough money to From CBD. Have, have the lifestyle that I've had before I was working on Sky. I've managed to still be able to generate enough income so that I didn't have to sell my house. Right? Right. So when you talk about cancel culture and and these people aren't the ones that are giving you jobs, actually, some of them are the ones that give me jobs. You know, there are mm-hmm. people giving me jobs on the back of uh, the fact that they're grateful to me for standing up for what they believe in as well.
1: Do you think? Um, yeah, I think that's true as well. I think one so of the There's things- a
0: whole there's a whole different economy out there and a whole set of people out there who actually. Do think the way that yeah, I no, think, I I can see and, that, and are grateful to me for using but, my platform yeah. to speak up for them who don't have a platform.
1: No, I can see that. Do you think that um, in any shape or form? And this is a slightly negative question because no, you've probably right. already answered it. I'm good with, it, with negative but, questions. But <laughs> do you think in any shape or form some of the parodying or positioning of you by certain segments of people's view on you now has diminished your standing with your legacy at Southampton and the fact that you are? Le God, in their minds? Uh it doesn't,
0: it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to me after my career. Nobody will ever be able to take away the fact that I represented Southampton Football Club 540 times, scoring 209 goals and spent my entire career in the top flight and uh, and played a big part in keeping them in that division when the odds were stacked against yeah. us quite a lot of the time. So nothing can take that away from my legacy. I believe what I've done and what I've said has been consistent over the last few years. I think a lot of what I've said, not everything, but a lot of what I've said has come to pass. And when you, if you were to go back two or three years, and I might do it one day, Oh, I think uh, and you're talk right. Talk about talk about the stuff that I was I think you're tweeting right tweeting about two or yeah. three years ago. Yeah, a lot of that that stuff has been justified.
1: That being said, and your fortitude and your resilience, you doubled down on it, haven't you?
0: You've not been prepared to. Climb I've been down. consistent, Simon, yeah. and you 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 are the you're the very same. I listen to you on the radio. You're consistent in your views, and you stand by what you believe yeah. in. And that's what I've done. And people, a lot of people, uh, when I'm out in public, respect me for that. But has it impacted upon relationships? And
1: family and friends because you came off social media for a bit, didn't you, because of some of the stuff that was going on with trolls. Yeah, that What's been the that, legacy
0: that, and consequences of this? Me coming off social media wasn't for my benefit. That was for the benefit of the people around me. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. So so with that in mind... So I haven't fallen out with uh, any, any member of my family or close friend right. over the last three years. I think my family thought I'd gone mad a couple of years ago. Right. They thought I was a bit You know, thought they were they were a bit worried for my mental health. Right, Uh, and to be fair, I probably uh, in the early days, you know, when we didn't have a lot to do and we were locked down, and you know, I was just bored. And I think
1: the world went mad. uh, let alone
0: individuals. And 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 I just kind of got a bit obsessed with trying to find out what was going on Mm. because something didn't feel right to me. And so I I spent I spent a lot of time looking into it, and I probably neglected my wife and my daughter a little bit at that point because I was too obsessed with trying to find out what was going on. And I had to find a a better balance in my life. I don't, I don't, I've always said that, don't dispute that. One of my best mates who has completely polar opposite opinions than I do, who I play golf with on a regular basis, my golf partner at a golf club, ex-policeman has a completely different view to the world than I have. We've had some real serious debates, you know, and it's got frustrating at times and, and we've, we've raised voices at each other. Uh, And at the end of the day, once we've had that discussion, We shake hands, we go, All right. Never mind. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. And and we're grown up about it. You know, we can have a have a heated debate. I still, at the end of the day, shake each other's hand and go, "All right, we we don't we don't agree on that, but let's have a game of golf tomorrow."
1: Yeah, I agree. And I that's mean, I how think life should too be. Too many people are entrenched in their position and will not move from it. But that's okay to not move from it. No, but I mean, are, but, are, are offended but, by the very nature of the fact that but, you don't have their view. Yes, that's Or, you, the or, bit. You, or they don't have yours. That's that's. And the I bit think that's... there's something about a civilized society where you can have a different position. And I don't need you. You know what?
0: I don't care if you don't want to hold my view. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm and exactly if the same. You have your but view, and let me have, I'll have let mine. Let me have my view. Don't don't shut me down because you don't agree with what I'm saying. And still, let me have but my opinion. Do you take the piss out of you though? Do my mates? No, not anymore. No, in fact, because because uh, you because you're now fact, having proof of concept. In fact, a lot of them have come up to me and gone. I mean, right. I thought you were mad a couple of years yeah. ago, but actually, actually, looking at what's happened, yeah. you were right.
1: Matt, I've really enjoyed
0: it. Thank you for being up for part today.
1: Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.